My name is uh, Kent Peterson, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. We're going to dive right into this really quickly. Christian said I only have an hour, and so uh, I want to kind of get through this as uh, quickly as possible. Thank you for those who caught that humor uh, real quick. We will be out of here a lot sooner than that. And uh, it is a privilege to be back. I think I came a year ago, uh, not last fall, but the previous fall. I knew nobody met Christian for the uh, first time, and uh, so he was the only guy I knew. Uh, I come back this time, and now I know two. And uh, so I'm glad that uh, is Haley, I mean, I'm sorry, is Bailey Heiler here? I put the two names together. Is Bailey here? Uh, no chapel credit. Where are you? You need, huh? No? Okay, that's, that, this is already going bad. I just called her out, so she's going to uh, need to go to see a Christian that said on that slide there a little bit ago within the next two weeks. So I'm going to take another chance. Is uh, Jack Lewis, are you here? Am I 0 for 2? Am I striking out? No? Oh, man. So we must be near the end of the year and we can get our chapel misses in. Do you get like three or four or five or something like that when I went to school? Okay, tell both those guys, man, sorry they missed. They got a shout out. They're probably going to be going, man, I'm so glad I did not come today. Um, Bailey uh, grew up in our church. I say our church. I've been there three years, but she grew up there long before I got there. Uh, Jack is my second cousin, whether he knows it or not. But you know what they say. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And so we're still family after this, even though I call them out. And so please give a lot of grace to those who uh, miss chapel here today. Christian, if you would. Um, in fact, it kind of ties in exactly where, where we're going today. Um, I, I, I know some of you here are probably getting close to the end. Um, I know some of you are freshmen. I think there's one senior up here on the worship team here today. Um, at least we're getting close to finals. Are we getting close to finals? Is that coming up pretty quick? Anybody hope they fail a final? Is that anybody, anybody's bucket list, hoping you're to fail your final? Uh, anybody uh, here, some seniors? Do we do have some seniors that are here in chapel today? Raise your hands real high. Congratulations. Uh, you're getting really close to go out and get that first job. And uh, anybody hoping they're kind of going to fail at the interview? Anyone hoping for that? Hoping you'll fail your first job? Uh, no one usually hopes for that kind of stuff. But my message for us today is I hope you fail. Um, I have some experience with this, so I can, I, I can share with that with you today. I have I've failed at many things. I started out early getting good at this. I, I failed kindergarten, went through that twice, uh, learned how to do everything twice. I was mentoring the kids that came in through that second year. Uh, I failed, uh, you could say I failed at dating because the first 10 or 11 uh, gals that I dated in high school and college, it didn't work out and we didn't marry. And so if the objective is to find a spouse in the dating. I guess you could say I failed the first 10 or 11 times. I think most 90% of them broke up with me, so I had no choice in the matter. Uh, but finally, I must have got something right. But you could say I, I failed there. I failed in my first major or field of study. I'm a psychology major. major. I got also um, a secondary certificate in the state of Kansas where I could teach. I did my student teaching in Olathe. I got, I got done with my end of my senior year student teaching. And I was like, oh, Lord, this is not for me. This is not what I'm supposed to do. And I, I hated almost every minute of it. And uh, uh, so I called my dad. I said, I was like, I don't know what to do. And he said, uh, go get a job. And so I did that. I went out and got a job. And I sold insurance for the next three years. 
Hated every minute of that except for the one day of the month that we got paid. That was a good day. But other than that, I, I, hated, I hated insurance. In fact, I uh, kind of got forced out. And to be honest with you, I quit before I was fired because I wasn't meeting my life insurance quotas. And so there again, I found myself. I called my dad and said, Dad, what do I do? And he says, how old are you? And I can't remember. I was like 26 at the time or something. He goes, if you can figure it out by the time you're 30, you'll be okay. And so it gave me four years to kind of try to figure some more things out. And I went on and I was a youth pastor for a little bit. And then I took my first church. It was a young church. It was a couple years old. It was in Rockland, California. That church is no longer here today because my last Sunday I read a letter closing. I successfully closed that church down after four short young years. And now you're sitting here somewhere in this place thinking, what kind of loser did Christian bring in here today? Who's speaking to us? Well, I hope you fail too. Christian asked me to speak on Mark, and you've been going through the book of Mark, and who am I, and, and what does that look like for you? And uh, I've been given the chapter of Mark 14, 26 through 52, which I'm glad to succeed in that today, because the last time I spoke to you, I came here, and I came here with the wrong passage. I, I misread, maybe I don't have dyslexia, but somewhere in the line I missed uh, two, a couple numbers, and I got here, and Christian was like, you're speaking on this? I was like... No, I'm speaking on this. He's like, well, I thought you're supposed to speak on this. I, I looked at my email again. I was like, yeah, I'm supposed to speak on that, but we're going to speak on this today. So uh, I'm at least just glad to be in the right passage today. Mark chapter 14, verses 26 uh, through 52. Most of this chapter is devoted to failure, it, at least at the part that I begin to pick up. In fact, you see Jesus uh, predicts that Peter's going to fail him. He predicts his Denial in verse 27, he says, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if I fall, even if all fall away, I will not. I'm not going to fail you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. He's like, no, no, we're not going to fail you, Jesus. Uh, we're, we're here. We got your back. We're here for you. And, of course, next week you'll probably hit the end of this chapter and Jesus' predictions comes true. And we know the story, Jesus, uh, Peter fails Jesus. Well, then you go into this prayer in the garden in Gethsemane and, and, and they can't even do a simple task. These disciples, you know, Jesus is at the, the, the place in his life where he is utterly broken. They, they said that he was sweating blood. He was sweating so hard from anguish that there was blood drops coming from his brow. Uh, it was a time where he just needed a few good friends. Ever need, been in a place in life? He just needed a friend. You didn't need them to do, you just needed to show up. You just needed them to be there. You needed them to be present. You didn't need them to fix anything. You just needed them to be there for you. They couldn't even accomplish this simple task. For he asked him, you know, would you just pray with me? And he comes back three times and we see the story. I'm not going to read this whole thing to you, but we see that three times. What are they, what are they doing? They were sleeping, sleeping on the job. Makes me think of my sophomore year in college. Uh, I was, I got, came, I uh, somehow attracted or whatever you get when you get mono. I got mono my sophomore year, my spring year. They call it the kissing disease. Um, I failed at that. I didn't get it from kissing anybody. I just somehow got mono. Put me in the hospital for uh, seven days, 
And uh, before I entered the hospital, um, tragically, actually the year before at our school, we actually had a, a young man die of mono. And his, his airwaves closed off in the middle of the night and he didn't make it. So my, my parents were a little concerned about that because that was beginning to happen to me. And so my brother-in-law and my sister and my mom and my dad, they were going to take me to the hospital the next day and uh, go to the doctor the next day first. Uh, but they each decided to take a two-hour shift in the night to watch me. About five years later, my brother-in-law confessed that he fell asleep on his watch. And uh, so, uh, you know, do you ever just need someone sometime just to, to be there for you and hear Jesus? Man, he needed these guys. And three times they failed him. They, they fell asleep on him. And he's like, you can't even, you couldn't even stay awake for an hour with me? Well, we, we've been there. You ever said, man, I'm going to pray. I'm going to really pray. I'm going to pray for an hour here. You know, you've, you've done that. Um, or maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one that's done that. Everyone fails. Judas, the next little section, we know that Judas was going to fail and Jesus predicted that. And Judas indeed did fail Jesus when he betrayed him. Verse 50, it says, then everyone deserted him and fled. Everybody failed him. I mean, this is just one failure after another in this passage. And to add insult to injury, one of the persons that was trying to flee failed at fleeing. He didn't even do that very well. Because it said he fled naked. I mean, he got caught. He couldn't even get away. He failed trying to get away, and they caught his robe. And on his way out, he, he had to flee, and he had to flee naked. Every single part in this passage leads to failures. And if you're keeping track, it would say something like the score would be success zero, failure five. I once played Sterling College in football many years ago. My record against Sterling College is zero wins, one loss. So you guys got me there. Um, going back to this time where I had successfully closed the doors of this little church that I pastored, I, I left there broken. I left there discouraged. I left there defeated. I left there feeling like a failure and feeling like a loser. And so there was a mentor that kind of reached out to me of a large church, a mega church of a, about 10,000 people. And he had lunch with me before I went to the next town, to the next place I was going to pastor. He said, Kent, you're asking the wrong question. Because I kept saying, I feel like such a failure. I, I feel like I'm letting everyone down, my family down, my two little girls. I just, I, I, I'm just don't feel successful here. And I began to share with him that. And he said these words to me. He said, you're asking the wrong question. He said, in fact, your first two ministry assignments, your first two places you pastor, quit asking how successful I am. Ask the question, what am I learning? Those are the questions you need to ask. And some of you are going to go out into the workforce here in a few years, some of you rather shortly. And I would encourage you, don't ask the wrong question. Don't ask in your first two jobs how successful you are. Ask, what am I learning? Uh, the statistics tell us that you'll have six, seven different careers in your lifetime, at least six or seven different jobs. So don't ask in your first couple assignments, what am I a failure, am I successful or not? Ask, what am I learning? Because here I have something that I've learned in my short life that I have of 47 years. I have difficulty trusting, and I'm highly suspicious of anybody who has not experienced a significant failure or setback in their life. If everything's gone rosy and everything gone, has gone well for that person, I'm immediately a little suspicious and untrusting of that person. Because failure setbacks, hard knocks, whatever you want to call them, have the ability to either make you bitter or better. They have the ability to make you weaker or to make you stronger. 
And I believe that they can make you greatly stronger and greatly better. Uh, for those of you that are seniors here, this is for you. Um, do you remember going back? I, I do, because I had two years of it. Do you remember kindergarten where it all started? What did they do in kindergarten that you really loved? At least what I really loved. And you have to do it all yourself now. You have to read and do it all. You have to do all the work yourself. Does your professor ever come in to you and just, just sit down and read to you for an hour? No, he sends you with all this reading to go back and have to do yourself. I just want you to go back to simple time just for five minutes. And I want to read to you a story. And it's a true story. And uh, I'll share who the guy is later. You may know him already, and you may have heard the story. If you've heard it, I think it's good enough that I love hearing it again. His name's Bob. He said, my first job was at Lair's Greenhouse Restaurant. It was a fantastic glass building. It was a crystal cathedral of fine dining. The crystal was perfect, the china was delicate, and the waiters were formal in their black tuxedos and cummerbunds and bow ties. When I applied to work at Lair's, I imagined how great I would look in a tux how I would memorize the menu and make every prom date and every business dinner flawless. I also imagined myself counting my pile of money from generous tips. In order to become a waiter at Lair's Greenhouse, I had to start as a busboy and work my way up. On my one year anniversary, the maitre d' pulled me aside and said I could buy my tuxedo and become a waiter. I was at the tuxedo shop the next morning as soon as it opened. When opening night came for me, I had my first Shift as a waiter, I was so excited I could barely eat. I sprinted out from my small apartment and grabbed some quick Mexican food. I rushed back and slipped on my tuxedo for the first time since trying it on in the store. The tuxedo was expensive, but I knew I'd earn enough in tips over the next month or two to pay for it. I'd put half down with, uh, of the money when I bought it, and I agreed to pay it off the rest in payments from my new waiter job. The night was cloudless. You could see the stars through the glass ceiling. Cinderella, wouldn't have, Cinderella would not have been out of place pulling up in her carriage. There was a twinkle on, of lights on the gazebos. It was like Christmas in July. The whole restaurant had a new feel to me, like I'd been an, an understudy in a play and now was walking out on the big stage as the lead. The maitre d' escorted me to my first guest to one of the elegant gazebos in my zone. It looked like a wealthy doctor and his business guest. They were each starched and tidy, and each guy looked like he could be the Surgeon General. The, woman, the women looked like they had stepped off the cover of Vogue. I told them about the many incredible choices they had that evening for what would certainly be the best food, best service, and most remarkable dining experience of their lives. In a word, I promised that the evening would be flawless. I placed their orders, and after a short time, came back to the gazebo with the steaming plates. All seemed to be going well until the unthinkable happened. As I was making the big reach across the wide table, I felt this massive grumbling somewhere south of my stomach, down as deep as one could imagine. There was no time to react. At the pinnacle of my full extension across the table with a plate of prime rib, out came the most impressive and lengthy gassing you could ever imagine. I hardly had time to regret the Mexican food I had eaten earlier. This was terrible in its own right, but what was more remarkable is that it went on forever. <laughs> I could have sounded out the alphabet if I could have gotten my hands back there, and no amount of butt tightening would have put an end to it. 
As I finished my episode, looks of absolute shock from my guests came into focus. I think I heard a woman scream. I certainly caught the attention of the surrounding tables. A hushed silence descended on all of us as I just stood there paralyzed, holding the prime rib high over the table. I didn't know what to say, and I was afraid that, that, that any movement might set off an aftershock. Finally, one of the men got up, threw the napkin I had placed in his lap on the table and walked straight over to the maitre d'. With punishing accuracy, I saw him describe what just went down, acting out my full extension as he stood on one foot and leaned across an imaginary table. The sounds he tried to recount lacked a certain bass tone and texture, but overall I think he got the general idea and the duration right. I was fired on the spot. No kidding. With my cummerbund in one hand and a bow tie in the other, I walked back to my VW bug with my head hung low. I sat in the front seat, took a deep breath, and wondered what I was supposed to feel at the time like this. On one hand, I had just destroyed a year's worth of work. I don't know how I could have messed up any worse, to be honest. Yet on the other hand, I had a story for the ages. A story I could someday tell my kids and my grandkids when they had made a big mistake. I took, it another, I took in another deep breath and I felt this huge grin spreading across my face. This grin was almost happening to me rather than me making it happen. As I drove home, I recounted the events from the last hour or two. I thought about the now useless tucks, the guests, the order, the infamous extension, the gasp, the screams, the firing. I can't lie. I even knew then that it had indeed been an amazing, if not flawless, night. My grandmother, Grandmother Mary, used to tell me, you're nothing until you've been fired once or twice. You see, failure is just a part of the process. It's not just okay, it's better than okay. God doesn't want failure to shut us down. God didn't make it three strikes and you're out sort of thing. It's more about how God helps us dust ourselves off so that we can swing for the fences again. And all of this without keeping a meticulous record of our screw-ups. I found another job eventually, and eventually I lost that one too. But I lost it because I chose this time, not because I was fired. Finding things and losing things is what the Bible is all about. God even seemed to encourage it. He talked about losing your job or even your life if you want to find it. He talked about losing your status to find real power. He shows that Jesus comes looking for us because people like sheep have a knack for getting lost. And when he finds us, we usually aren't dressed in a tuck, tux. Things that go wrong can shape us or scar us. I've had some things go well in my life and some things not go so well, just like you. More have gone well than have gone poorly, but I'm not trying to keep score because I have a different way I measure those things now. For God finds us in our failures and our successes. And for me, I've realized that I used to be afraid of failing at the things that really, really mattered to me. But now I'm more afraid of succeeding at the things that don't really matter. You see, God finds us, as he says, in our success. That's Bob Goff. Anybody know who Bob Goff is? Anybody read that book? You're a step ahead of me. Great, great read. God finds us in our failures and our successes, and we need to learn to celebrate we need to learn to celebrate our failures because God has a purpose for them. You know, it's just four years ago in a few short weeks, my daughter will graduate as a senior in high school from Bueller. 
And uh, four years ago, we were in California, and she was a freshman and going to a large school of about 1,800 students. And everything had been kind of easy for up to that point. I think she'd got nothing but A's if some, some are pluses and checks and those things, of course, in grade school. But her first week, just a couple days into her school year, she came and got into the car just crying and sobbing for she had failed her first test. She'd failed geometry, for which her mother and I had no answers for, so we had to get her some help. And I remember in that moment, I remember how crushed she was at the failure of just one little test. So I began to celebrate. I began to say, Reagan, that's awesome. Have you ever done this before? She was like, no. I said, this is your first. This is your first F. She said, yeah. I said, that's awesome. You've never done this before, and I, I get to experience this with you? This is your first F. Let's go get some ice cream. Because ice cream makes everything better. We know that. And she just was looking at me like I was strange. I was like, you're going to have failures in life. It's going to happen. And you're going to have other Fs. Hopefully don't get too many of them. And some things you just have to make it through. That's not the way God wired you. He made you really creative. But that side of the brain isn't the strong side of yours. So let's go have some ice cream. And we went and we celebrated. Well, there's something in Mark's story here today that's missing. You know, there's four accounts of the Gospels of Jesus' life, four biographies of his life. I don't think one eyewitness could adequately tell his story. I don't think thousands of volumes could tell the whole story of Jesus. But we're fortunate to have four Gospels, four accounts of his life. But in this story of Mark, there's something that he doesn't tell us that the Gospel of Luke does. When Jesus told Peter he would fail him three times, Luke tells us something Mark doesn't. It's found in two short verses, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. And Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail you. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. The real question is not whether you and I will fail or whether we'll have failures in our life. The question, the real question is, what do we do with those failures? And what will you do with your failures? For certainly you're going to have some. They're just going to come. It's not a matter of if, but when. But what you do with them matters. What do you do when you fail? There's two things from this, two verses that we take. One is don't quit on your faith. Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not fail him. Jesus never prayed for his disciples or prayed for us. He, well, he might have. I, I, don't, I can't find it in Scripture. He never prayed that we would never sin or that we would not fail. That he knows that we're going to. He prays that we would not, you know, continue in sin. But there's not this prayer or this that we would be perfect. For he knew that we would fail him. He knew that Peter was going to fail him. He knew Simon was going to fail him. And he prayed that when he had come back, that his faith would not fail him. That's what Jesus prays for us. Not that we'll never fail, but he prays that our faith will not fail. And I want to encourage you as you, maybe some of you seniors as you graduate, some of you going through this college experience, and you're getting to test out the waters of your faith versus your parents' faith, or maybe you come from no faith at all. Jesus has prayed not that you would not fail, but that your faith would not fail. And my prayer for us and for you today is your faith would not fail, that you would not quit on your faith, you would not quit on the church. The second thing is after you failed, 
What are you going to do with it? And this teaches us, go make a difference. Go make a difference with your life. Jesus said, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Never waste a good failure. Never waste a good failure. I have found that people are more attracted to my weaknesses than they are my strengths. Never waste a good failure because God has a purpose and a plan to even use those things. You've heard that it's said, you make a living by what you get. You make a life by what you give. I don't care what your major is. I don't care what job you get. I don't care what career you choose. Just go make a difference. Go try stuff. Go do stuff. Go fail at stuff. Go make a difference. If you don't fail at anything, I can tell you that you haven't really tried anything, you haven't really done anything, and you're probably not going to make that big a difference in this world. But if you failed a few things, and maybe many things, you'll find that God is both present in our successes and our failures. So I bid you, happy failing. Father, thank you for this day and for your love for us. And thank you that you're in the midst of our successes and our failures. And Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us today that we would embrace the mighty love of God who loves us way beyond what we could possibly imagine that even tells us why we were still sinners, screw-ups, mess-ups, failures. When we were at our worst is when you loved us the most. And for that, we're eternally grateful in Jesus' name. Amen.